Thank you, Jonathan. Um, like Jonathan said, I'm Chandler Machamel. And I, I do want to say before we get going here, I'm, I'm so grateful to be here at DPC. Um, my family and I have absolutely loved it here. And Greenville, um, Greenville has an amazing reputation. Before we got here, we were told we were going we to love it. And we really do. And um, I know that it's because of the effort and love of folks like you in the room that, um, that Greenville has become home. So thank you uh, very much for that. Um, I'm going to pick it up this morning in 1 John chapter 2. Um, this is where Adam Radcliffe uh, left us now three weeks ago. Um, so if you have a Bible, you can turn there to 1 John chapter 2. And if, if you're thinking to yourself, oh goodness, I, I have no idea what Adam talked about or I wasn't here, don't worry. It's not going to be like an episode of Friends where you have to know all the backstory to get all the jokes. We're just going to jump in, in here and, and you'll be fine. Um, so let me, let me read this and, um, and then we'll pray and we'll talk about it. 1 John 2, just the first two verses of of 1 John 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, uh, we need you all the time. We need you so much. God, would you send your spirit to be with us as we look at your word? And God, would you show us Jesus? Show us just how loved we are in him. I pray in his name. Amen. Um, I, I think, the fir- if I remember, I'm sure there's a, a permanent record out there, but I think the first speeding ticket I ever got was when and I... I shouldn't say first. What if it's the only? Um, but I, I think the first speeding ticket I ever got, well, it's, it's not the only, was um, when I was 20 years old. I, um, I was on a road trip with a good friend of mine. I, I grew up in Atlanta, so we drove from Atlanta, Georgia, out to Arizona. And we were going to work at a, a summer camp there, a Christian summer camp um, with teenagers. And uh, we, we made this long road trip. It took maybe four days to get out there. Um, but at the, time, at the end of our time working at that camp, we'd been there about a month uh, my friend said to me, hey, man, we really got to book it getting back. So he had this brilliant idea uh, to just drive through the night. He said, let's just, we'll drive through the night um, and, and we'll be back in time for the semester to start in the fall. Well, we didn't do the math or anything like that. It was like a 36-hour drive. So we thought we would get there the next day. Um, but we, we left Arizona at about, at about midnight. Um, and at about 1.30 in the morning, that's an hour and a half into the drive, we, um, we were driving on an Arizona highway. There were really high speed limits there. If you've never been to um, a desert highway, it's actually kind of strange. I, I remember the speed limit was 75. The reason I remember that is uh, because we didn't see a car. There was, there was nobody out there, but I was sort of doing the calculation in my head, thinking, okay, and kids, if you're listening, stop listening, earmuffs. If I thought, okay, if the speed limit is 45, I'm usually okay to go about 7 or 8 over. I'm not going to get in in any trouble. And if the speed limit now is 75, surely there's a little extra buffer up there for me. So I was on cruise control, and uh, sure enough, up ahead, I saw one car. And the thought went through my head, what kind of car this might be. And sure enough, right when we passed this car, the blue lights came on. And I looked down at my speedometer, and I saw that I was on cruise control at 87. That's 12 over for you math magicians in the room. And 
I, st- I still remember that feeling when the blue lights came on. I thought, oh, goodness, I'm toast. I've really done it here. But I thought to myself, you know, I've seen people get out of speeding tickets before. I've seen movies where people sort of gab their way out of these situations, so I've got it covered. The officer came to the window, and he said, uh, do you know how fast you were going? And I said, officer, I'm so sorry. My friend and I, we just spent a month at this Christian camp trying to help troubled teens, and we're getting back. We're trying to get back to school, earn our degrees, you know, productive members of society. He cut me off, and he said, I asked how fast you were going. And it was in that moment I knew I was in trouble. I was caught. I couldn't, I couldn't wiggle my way out of this one. Uh, I, I want to ask and hopefully answer a question this morning that is this. When we sin, that is when we do something wrong that God has told us not to do, what happens? What happens when, when we sin? Um, John says... Uh, In the middle of verse 1, you can look there. He says, if anyone does sin. So this is the situation that he's sort of zooming in on here. He says, if anyone does sin. Now, when I read that, it sort of seems a little bit optimistic. You know, that this is almost sort of his way of glossing over the fact that we we do, in fact, sin. When he says, if anyone sins, I think, why don't you say when anyone sins? I mean, we we just, 10 minutes ago, we confessed our, we, we actually confessed to breaking what Jesus called the greatest commandment. To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We just we confessed all together uh, that we had done that. Uh, and, and if you haven't been at DPC for long, um, you'll catch on quickly that next week we're going to do the same thing. And the week after that, we're going to do the same thing. And the week after that, we're not going to stop uh, because we do sin. Um, I, I think it's helpful, I hope that it's helpful this morning for us to think about sin instead of just as doing something wrong, as breaking a rule that we think about maybe the effect of sin as a broken relationship. Um, if you've ever been to a store where right when you walk in, sometimes there'll be a sign on the door that says, if you break it, you buy it. I feel like as a kid, those signs were always only at stores that sold like glass figurines, and that was it. Um, and I, my bowling ball self was always nervous walking around there. But uh, in a sense, our relationship with God is kind of like a fragile glass figurine. And if you if you sin, if you do something that God has asked you not to do, it's, it's not just that a rule was broken, but a relationship is broken. And we know this intuitively, that, that doing bad things breaks relationship. Um, if you set up a lunch meeting with someone and you say, hey, I'm going to meet you at noon downtown at Rick's Deli. We're going to grab lunch together. And then you plum forget or something comes up. And, and at 1.30, your friend texts you and says, hey, I missed you at lunch today, but I had a great Mediterranean salad by myself. Um, it's very natural for us to feel like we need to make it up to our friend. I mean, we'll, we'll just naturally say, I'm so sorry. What can I do to make it up to you? So we know that when we do something wrong, it's not just, okay, something bad happened and, and we're done with it. There's, there's a relational aspect to that. And the same is true in our relationship with God, that when we do things that we're not supposed to do, our relationship with God is strained. It's broken, even. Um, I want you to imagine for a second uh, God as a judge in what, what we'll call the divine courtroom. And I'm not just making this up. All throughout the Bible, God is called a judge, especially in the Psalms. And Jesus describes God that way, the Father and, 
In Hebrews, um, we're told that every one of us will live and die and be judged by God. So I want you to imagine this, this heavenly courtroom, this divine courtroom where you and me have to stand before God. And we have to answer for the things that we've done in our life. You know, as sort of a terrifying thought um, that God who sees everything would hold us accountable for the things that we've done. And if we are honest with ourselves, we don't really stand a chance to be called innocent by God. We're guilty. Because we've done things that God has asked us not to do, that he's told us not to do. So when we do sin, what happens? Um, you know, this is the predicament that we're in, that we do sin. That we're fallen, that we're broken, that try as we might, we, we fail. And sometimes we don't even want to try to be good. Uh, John, who's writing this letter, and I should mention, this is, this is John, like the Apostle John. He wrote the Gospel of John. He lived years with Jesus. Um, he's an old man now, so he spent his entire life thinking about who Jesus is. Uh, the significance of Jesus coming to earth, living, dying, and, and being raised from the dead. So John's writing here, and, and he says, if anyone does sin, comma. Now, if we were to fill in the blank right there, based on what I just told you about what God is like, we might expect him to say, if anyone does sin, they're in big trouble. If anyone sins, they've got to pay. If anyone sins, they've got to make it up to God. But that's not what it says. There's good news. It says, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Uh, so what is an advocate? Um, this is, Jesus is described as an advocate. In, in a sense, I think that the noun advocate is maybe best described by the verb advocate, that an, an advocate is somebody who advocates for somebody else. And this is actually a, a legal term here, that uh, an advocate can almost be compared to a lawyer. So an advocate is one who stands between the defendant and the judge and who pleads the case for the person who's on trial, for the person who's in trouble. So Jesus is described here as a person who would stand between us and God and he would advocate for us, that he would plead our case before God the Father. Now, I don't know how that word... Uh, lands with you, the word advocate, or if you can think of someone who's advocated for you in the past. Um, when I was a junior in college, I, I transferred from Elon University, which is in North Carolina, to the University of Georgia, uh, Ivy League of the South, if, that, if you need help with that is. Um, so I, I transferred to the University of Georgia, and I was a junior. I, I didn't know a lot of people at UGA um, and I thought, you know, that's okay. I'll just, I'll live in an apartment by myself. I might get a cat or six. And um, that, that's just going to be my life in college. I, you know, it's okay. I'll just go to class. I'll get my degree and, and cheer on the dogs. Well, I, I basically begged this group of seven guys who I, I kind of knew uh, to live with them. I said, can I, can I live in y'all's house? And um, they said, sure, and stop asking. Um, and I there was one, one poor guy who drew the short straw that he was going to have to share a room with me. Now, I'm the new guy. I'm the weird old junior transfer, but um, his name's Robert. And I'm not going to cry when I talk about him, but um, 
he and I shared a room together, and I remember the first day we woke up, and I don't know where anything is, and he said, hey, I don't care when your first class is, we're going to breakfast together. And after class, I want you to meet me in the dining hall for lunch. And this afternoon, we're going to play basketball with a group of guys. And tonight, we're going out to dinner with a different group of people. And we've got a function to go to after that. You just stick with me, okay? Now, Robert is very popular. People love him. So everywhere he went, people would flock to him. And they want to know, how's your summer? How you doing? And he'd have this sort of crowd of people around him when he walked into a room. Well, every room that we walked into together, he would stop people and say, hey, have you met my friend Chandler? Uh, He just transferred here from Elon. Um, This went on for months. After I'd been at UGA for for maybe six months, I remember thinking, I mean, this place really feels like home. I mean, I love it here. I've I've got people to hang out with, things to do. I'm involved here. This place feels like where I belong. Every single meaningful relationship that I had could be traced back to Robert introducing me to people because he advocated for me. He stood between me and other people and he pled my case. Where is Jesus right now? And and maybe more importantly, what is Jesus doing right now? You know, we believe, and Jonathan mentioned this earlier, that that Jesus has always been the Son of God, that he's the second person of the Trinity, that he, he took on flesh, he, he took on a body just like yours and mine. He lived a real life. He actually died, and he actually rose from the dead in a real body that people could touch, and he ate things. And then after some time, after his resurrection, he, he left earth. Well, where is Jesus, and what is he doing? Uh, this passage tells us that Jesus right now is advocating for us before God the Father. Now, if you hear that and you go, man, that sounds, that sounds nice. You know, how do I, where do I sign up for Jesus to be my advocate? Where do, I, where do I hire a lawyer like Jesus? How do I get Jesus to advocate for me before the Father? Because that sounds, in a sense, too good to be true. Uh, you may think, man, I, I, you know, I probably need a certain amount of money or a certain kind of behavior or something like that. Well, um, John says if anyone sins, he has an advocate with the Father. It doesn't say if anyone is awesome, they have an advocate with the Father. Or if anyone had a quiet time this morning, they, had an av- they have an advocate with the Father. Or if anyone teaches their children the catechism in Greek, they have an advocate with the Father. No, it's, it's if anyone sins. They have an advocate with the Father. It is when you sin that Jesus turns to God the Father and pleads your case. It's when you sin that you have an advocate. I wonder if latching on to that truth would bring some freedom in your life, some peace in your life, if you knew that was true. I was in Chick-fil-A a few weeks ago because I care deeply about my health, and uh, there, was a, there was a kid, a young, a young kid who had a, a, little, a little kid's drink with a top on it. And as, I'm sure this happens all the time, but he dropped the drink and it poof, exploded. There's blue stuff everywhere. Um, and the kid is sort of, he, he feels nervous. You can tell he feels embarrassed that he's just dropped this thing. Well, 
you would have thought that the operator of that Chick-fil-A was offering $10,000 rewards to anyone who would clean up a drink. I mean, people in Chick-fil-A uniforms came out of the woodwork. I'm pretty sure there were some off-duty Chick-fil-A folks who popped up, and it was just, there's rags, my pleasure everywhere. It was just crazy. And um, I, I thought to myself, Chick-fil-A is the best place in the world to spill something. If you're going to if you know that you're a little shaky with a drink, Chick-fil-A is the place to go. You know, in the same way, if you know that you struggle, if you know that you're going to blow it sometimes, or if you know that you have blown it as a person, then having Jesus as your advocate is the best place to mess up. It's the best scenario you could be in because when you sin is when he advocates for you. Um, if you're a lawyer or if you maybe work in the legal world, you might, you might know the next natural question that we have to ask. And that's this. Okay, Jesus is my advocate. He stands between me and God and he pleads my case. Well, what case does he make? What case could he possibly make? Even a good lawyer, for you Suits fans, even a Harvey Specter. That's a high context joke there, so I'm sorry. Um, if you're actually guilty, then it doesn't matter the case that a lawyer makes. It would be right for the judge to give you what you deserve. Um, when I got that speeding ticket in Arizona, I remember the officer handed me the ticket and I, I looked at it. There's all these words printed on it and numbers and things are highlighted. And I was feeling very sort of nervous. I might've been crying at the time. And I, I looked at the officer and I remember I said, what do I do? What do I, I mean, what do I do with this? With, and I'd never gotten a speeding ticket before. I didn't know what to do. And he said, well, you have two options. Either you pay the fine on there, or you go back to Georgia, you hire a lawyer, come back to Arizona on the date listed on that ticket, and you try to convince a judge that what you just told me about how fast you're going isn't true. I said, I think I'm just going to pay the fine. <laughs> That's probably the best way. It wouldn't matter what lawyer I hired. I was going 12 over. I was speeding. I was guilty. So if we don't have a very good case to make before God, what case is Jesus going to make? This is where it gets a little bit ridiculous. Jesus, as our advocate, pleads our case before God based not on what we've done, but based on what he has done. Jesus pleads our case based on his merits. And and how do we know this? Uh, John describes our advocate this way. Um, Look with me at the end of verse 1, and it it sort of bleeds into verse 2. John says, If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, and then he calls him the righteous. He is the propitiation of, for our sin. Now, those are two really important words, righteous and propitiation. When, when you hear righteous, think righteous, perfect, good. That's, that's who Jesus is. That's what he is. And when you hear propitiation, I want you to think payment. Um, Jesus is the righteous payment for our sin. Now, for what it's worth, uh, in our English Bibles, we've got a period there. It says Jesus is the righteous, period. He is the propitiation. In the original text, this is just one sentence. It just says, We have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous propitiation for our sins. So he is 
the righteous payment for our sin. Um, Now, why would the morality of our advocate matter? You know, if if you were going to hire a lawyer and somebody said, hey, uh, I've got this guy who's a lawyer. Um, He's okay at practicing law, but he is a great guy. I mean, let me tell you, he's a lot of fun to grill burgers with. You go, I don't need a good guy. I need a good lawyer. I need someone who will plead a good case. Well, John says Jesus is the righteous. He's perfect. And the reason it matters that Jesus is the righteous is because he's also the propitiation. Um, Jesus is the payment for our sins. I want you to imagine again for a second that you're back in that divine courtroom. Um, You're on your way into trial with Jesus, your lawyer. And you're thinking in the back of your head, okay, I sinned. I messed up my entire life. I've done things that I never told anybody. I'm so embarrassed about. And I remember my Sunday school teachers, they were great. They told me the wages of sin is death. I I could be the judge in this situation. I I know how this is going to go. And Jesus your advocate leans over to you right before you walk into the courtroom and he says, hey, don't worry. I worked out a deal with the judge. I I know him. He's actually my father. And we've worked out an arrangement so that you'll be innocent. So what's the deal that Jesus and God the Father worked out Jesus goes to the Father when he advocates for us and he says, hey, I know that she sinned. I know that he sinned, but here's what I want you to do. Whatever punishment she deserves for what she did wrong, give it to me. Whatever punishment he deserves for what he's done wrong, give it to me. And whatever reward I deserve for being good, for being righteous. Give it to her. Give it to him. Here's here's how one uh, commentator puts it. He says, it is the advocate's own righteousness that he must plead for the criminals. He has been righteous to the death, righteous for them. When Jesus died on the cross, He was not dying because of anything he had done wrong. Because he never did anything wrong. It's actually mind-boggling to think about that. His entire life, he never did anything wrong. But on the cross, he was being punished for your sins and for my sins. Um, I want you to imagine for a second a, a, a private school, like that you'd see in a movie, a strict, maybe it's even a boarding school. Um, And it's the kind of place that has these huge, beautiful, maybe gothic-looking buildings. And um, you walk into that school, and uh, there's a list of rules on the wall. And it's rules that you'd see in a school. Don't run in the hallway. You have to wear the uniform. Your hair has to be cut a certain way. You have to wear a belt. You have to tuck in your shirt. You have to call everybody sir or ma'am. And next to each rule, there's a fine that has to be paid. It's $100 per rule that is broken. And this is the the list of rules that you see in this school. And at the bottom, it says, if anyone breaks a rule, 
there's a very rich man who's offered to pay their fine. Now, if you hear that and you think, that's ridiculous. I mean, there's no way that's how God works. There's no way that's how a relationship with God could possibly work. Then you are beginning to understand the good news about Jesus. It is so upside down and it's called grace. Um, I, when I was a freshman in college, man, I'm glad I went to college so I have something to talk about uh, this morning. Um, I, I took a trip to the beach with, with some friends. We were going to the Jacksonville area and a good friend of mine was going on that trip also and um, we love to play golf. So we thought, hey, there's gotta be some good golf for us to play in Jacksonville. And I didn't really know the lay of the land or really even where we were going. Um, but I said, I, you know, my dad loves golf. I'm going to call my dad and, and just see if we could find a place to play. So I called my dad. I said, hey, me and my buddy, we, we want to play when we get to, to Jacksonville. Do you know anybody down there? What, where should we try to play? What should we do? And um, my dad said, well, let me talk to somebody and I'll, I'll, I'll give you a call back. So he gave me a call back and he said, okay, um, I've, I've got a friend who has offered to meet you at TPC Sawgrass and he's going to play with you at, at TPC Sawgrass. We... Uh, removed our jaws from the floor. And then, um, I said, thanks so much. I mean, that's amazing. And, and, um, we thought that's, that's just incredible. If you don't know TPC Sawgrass, that's where a tournament called the Players Championship is played every year. And, uh, they've got the, the famous Island Green is on number 17. It's very daunting. It's, it's, um, a scary hole to play, but it turns out, you know, it's, it's a public course. I mean, you, you can play it. If, if, um, if you make a tee time, you can play it. The prohibitive part is the cost. It costs a lot to play there. So my friend did a little research the night before we were going to go play TPC Sawgrass to find out just how much are we going to have to pay for this round. I won't say the number, but I will say he called his dad after he found out how much it was, and he said, Dad, I'm going to put something on the credit card tomorrow. I don't want you to worry. I'm going to get a job this summer, and I'll pay you back. Um, but we thought, you know what? It's got to be worth it. Let's, let's go for it. Um, we... We went to TPC Sawgrass. We walked into the pro shop where we needed to, to check in, and they've got shirts and hats and things like that. And we thought, you know, when it rains, it pours. Let's grab a hat. And uh, we, we put our hats up on the counter and um, said to the nice lady behind there, I said, hey, we're here to play, I think, you know, 12 o'clock, something like that. She said, what's your name? She's typing on, on her computer, and she stopped. She sort of cocked her head to the side. She looked at my friend and I, and she, she said, you must know somebody. I looked at my friend. I looked back at her. I said, is that so? She said, well, your tea time was booked under the name of a high-level executive for the PGA Tour. And I said, well, what does that mean? She said, it means the hats are on us. You don't know anything for the golf. And please let me know if there's anything else I can get you. Um, We didn't know who we knew. We didn't know that there was somebody advocating for us, someone who was going to make a way for us to be able to play this amazing golf course. And we did, and it was awesome. Um, I, didn't, I didn't walk around the course that day thinking, man, I've really earned it. You know, I, I've, just, I've just sort of made it to this successful place in my life. No, it was a gift. It was a gift. Um, Two things, two sort of implications 
If this is true, if we really do have an advocate who would plead our case based not on what we've done, but based on what he's done, that means at least two things. First, what is it that you would be accused of this morning, right now? What is it that um, if somebody knew it, anybody, that, that you'd be totally embarrassed, that you'd run for the hills, that you wouldn't be here right now? Can you hear the voice of Jesus saying to you, I have been righteous for you. No matter what you've done, Jesus has been righteous for you. Um, here's the second thing I want to point out. At the, in verse 2, um, at the end of verse 2, John says, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Uh, because there are no prerequisites for having Jesus as your advocate, because you don't have to buy him as a lawyer, and because the case that he makes has nothing to do with what you've done and only to do with what he's done, this is good news for anyone. For anyone. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, the lies that you've told. You can be righteous before God. You can be counted innocent before God because of what Jesus has done on the cross. If you trust in him, God will look at you in the divine courtroom, whether today or 50 years from now. If you trust in Jesus, he will look at you and say, you are perfect. You are my child. I love you so much. You deserve eternal life. That's the good news for you and for me this morning. Uh, Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you for Jesus this morning. God, would you take the reality of our advocate and sink that deep down into our hearts? God, would you give us sweet peace and joy in knowing that we have one who would plead our case for us? God, I pray that you would take all that we've done wrong, all that we feel guilty about, God, and... Um, God, give us the peace of real forgiveness in Jesus. We thank you for him and pray in his name. Amen.